to the Portugal podcast. My name is Matthew Marshall and he's Tom Cundit. Tom, you've been in the Algarve. Has your uh, fragile white skin recovered yet? Uh, just about, yeah. It got pretty roasted, uh, but uh, no, that's what happens. That's the annual <laughs> pilgrimage, which I'm very happy to make. So, yeah, fantastic time in the Algarve, but uh, also pleased to be back uh, in Lisbon. Yeah, we've had an early start to the season. It's not often we have this much football in August, is it? But uh, good to see so much football action here in Portugal. We're going to be doing this podcast probably once a month and uh, just check in with how things are going in the Portuguese league. And then we'll take a look at the Seleção as we uh, get ready for the World Cup in Qatar. And also a couple of those games coming up to finish the UEFA Nations League. Okay, Tom, let's start off with Benfica. They've had a perfect start under Roger Schmidt, 7 out of 7, keeping plenty of clean sheets. You've uh, been at their first two home games, Michelin and Aruca. I managed to get to Boavista the other day and see them win 3-0. What have, your, uh, what have you taken away from Benfica so far? Yeah, yeah, I've actually seen all of their uh, home games and going tonight also against uh, Passos de Ferreira, their game in hand. And yeah, for you know Benfica fans, they're getting pretty excited and you have to say uh, justifiably so you know seven out of seven can't get any better than that can you and also winning in some style it has to be said in a lot of their matches there is a little bit of a uh, caveat to this which of course we cannot ignore which is all of their games so far if you have a look at them they haven't really had that tough an opposition to face Uh, but you know as the saying goes you can only beat what's in front of you and they've done really well so far, no doubt about it. You know, Roger Smith seems to have completely changed the way they play, you know, much more energetic. Of course, everyone knows he plays a kind of high-pressing game, very different to what we saw under Jorge Jesus these last two years. And in terms of personnel, uh, well, they only made two kind of big signings, or they've made a couple of recent signings, but we haven't really had the chance to have a look at them yet. But they've made... Uh, two of their biggest signings, which is uh, Enzo Fernandes in midfield and David Neres, uh, also, you know, attacking uh, kind of midfielder. And they've both been really good, really good, really impressive, no doubt about it. Huge upgrade on what they've had. You've also got the likes of João Mario and uh, Florentino Luiz uh, in midfield there. It's, it's amazing, actually, Matt. I think in virtually all these seven games, the starting lineup has been identical. I think maybe just one or two changes here and there, wasn't he? Ramos was injured for a game or so. But uh, it's basically been exactly the same team. Yeah, I mean, he's just basically playing that 4-2-3-1. Rafa Silva's got quite a lot of freedom. We've seen Morato really becoming first choice. They've got a bit more depth in the fullback positions now, I think. And that midfield, as you mentioned, has been completely overhauled. Enzo Fernandez looking really good, really sharp signing. He's had a strong start. They brought in Frederick Olsenus, the Norwegian central midfielder from Feyenoord for just over 10 million. So I'm sure we'll be seeing a bit more of him as they try and offload Julian Weigel. And great to see Florentino Luis. You know, he made a couple of questionable career decisions. I talked a fair bit about him at the Under-21 Championship where Louis George brought him in despite him being lacking a lot of uh, game time. And he really struggled there because of that. But he's obviously a class player. He's uh, got a lot of ability. And like any player, you know, once you get a good run of games and get minutes under your belt and get that confidence of knowing that you're basically uh, one of the first choice players in the team, then uh, players can start to flourish. Yeah, and the other one, as you mentioned, David Neres. I got a bit of concerns about him. Uh, There was something I saw on TV, I think it would have been in one of those um, 
Champions League games where he ran down the right wing and you, you saw Ramos was basically surrounded by two defenders. And there was two guys running in behind, just completely unmarked. And instead of playing it to one of those guys, he tried to pick out Ramos, who, as I said, was just had no chance of getting the ball. And then I saw a couple of things, again, in Bolvishta, where basically did exactly the same thing, just really, really poor decision-making. So that would be a couple of uh, alarming things I've seen with him and probably one of the reasons why Ajax um, let him go. But, yeah, he's obviously got a lot of speed and he's going to destroy a lot of these uh, fullbacks in the Primera Liga. But just something to keep an eye on. And also Gonzalo Ramos, hasn't he come through, Tom? I mean, you know, top yeah. scorer of that under-19 championship, really doing well of the uh, for the under-21 side and pushing his way into the first team in, in Benfica. Just um, tremendous for him. Gone off the boil a little bit in the last couple of games, but, um, yeah, really good to see him. And Joel Mario, again, um, like I said, with Florentino getting game time and getting confidence and great to see him enjoying himself. Just a little note on Rafa, because I think it's quite interesting. He's changed his position, uh, you know, quite significantly, I'd say. Of course, he's almost always been a wide player for Benfica. And he's playing basically through the middle now a lot more. And, uh, yeah, he's just he's just looked absolutely on fire. We all know he's a player with fantastic ability. I remember George Jesus saying a few years ago, if Rafa Silva had the, you know, the talking about decision making there we all know that's his kind of Achilles heel if he had the right decision if he had the right end product he would be you know a world-class player one of the best players in the world without a doubt that's always let him down you know he gets his speed and his dribbling ability gets him into brilliant positions and then he tends to just panic a little bit or make the wrong decision I think what you see with a lot of the really successful teams is you need a guy in that position to basically just unleash and uh, who you can trust to give a lot of freedom to. And uh, Rafa Silva definitely fits that category. If you look at the central defence, Tom, I think we're going to see now Jan Vertonghen get phased out. Otamendi was suspended for that last game, which saw uh, Schmidt bringing Antonio Silva, 18-year-old. So that was really good to see. I'm looking forward to seeing him uh, get some game time for those Portugal youth teams. He's been a guy that's been flying under my radar. And, of course, a couple of the Brazilians who have been injured, Lucas Verissimo, and Joel Victor, so a lot to uh, a lot to play with there for Roger Schmidt in the central defensive positions. And uh, yeah, you're really getting a good insight into Roger Schmidt and to what he's thinking and uh, what he's going to do going forward. Okay, Tom, let's move on to Braga. They're top of the league, but for sure <laughs> going to get overtaken by Benfica. They've had a great start, and I've been really fortunate to see a lot of them. I saw a lot of them towards the end of last season in the Europa League. Had a a lot of interesting chats with Carlos Carvalhal. We've got Artur Jorge, the new boss. And it was really obvious, wasn't it, with their, the way they went about their transfers, that they were going to move into a two-striker situation. And we've seen Simon Banza really start on fire. Next to Vitinha, of course, you've got Abel Ruiz coming off the bench. Ricardo Horta still there. That move to Benfica hasn't happened. I think there's a fair bit of drama going on with Malaga a team that owns a piece of him. They've got Musrati anchoring that midfield. As we've seen with Benfica, really no changes here. George has come in. He's sorted out what he wants to do. He's sorted out his first choice, 11. And uh, they're on fire, just scoring so many goals. I mentioned in my report after that game against Maritimo, they could really upset the top three this season. And uh, it looks even more that way after some of the results we've seen on the weekend. So... The club, you know, Tom, I've got a lot of respect for, a lot of time for. They do a lot of things well. 
And uh, you're seeing that on the pitch despite losing Carlos Carvalho. Yeah, amazing start, isn't it? 17 goals in four games, you know, that's ridiculous. <laughs> such a good start, such a, a bright start. And I'm surprised, I have to say, because, you know, Braga didn't really do too much in a transfer market or, well, they did, I suppose, you know, Simon Banzer came without too much fanfare, although he's already proved what a fantastic signing he's been. I think that's one which a lot of sporting fans are kind of already kicking themselves and saying, why didn't we go in for him? You know, sporting desperate need for a striker and he's, he's just looked the business, hasn't he? And he, I think how many goals did he score last season? 15, 17 at a club like Famalicão. So that already tells you, you know, that he knows where the, the back of the net is. Yeah, Braga took a chance on him and yeah, he's been super so far. Top scorer in Portugal, already five goals. And like you said, they're just looking, they're just a well-oiled machine at the moment, looking really good. And I, I say it surprised me because, of course, they sold David Carmel. It seems certain that Ricardo Horta would be sold. Uh, he still may be, but possibly not. You know, and if they, I agree with you, Matt, if they keep hold of him, Horta especially, I think this could perhaps be the season where they do upset, uh, you know, the big three, maybe get in amongst it for, for the whole season because so far they're just looking really strong all round. You mentioned uh, last season, of course, you saw a lot of them, spoke to Carvalhal a few times and one thing which was obvious from your conversations was how much emphasis they were putting into their youth players and their youth setup. And, uh, you know, he brought in so many players, didn't he, last season. And now we're seeing kind of the benefit of a lot of those young players, some very exciting players, uh, kind of a bit more experience under their belt. Everything could not have possibly gone better so far for Arthur George. They've hardly got any players over 30 years of age, Tom. You know, Andre Kastler is obviously a guy that comes off the bench. Uh, Cicada is 32. But really after that, you know, Paolo Oliveira is 30. Mateus 30. But it's a young squad, as you said. That's what they do. And a lot of the success that Jorge has had is, you know, Carvalhal laid the groundwork for that, particularly Rodrigo Gomes, who uh, yeah. scored that nice goal off the bench uh, the other day. All that confidence that he brings into this season was all Carvalhal's doing. So, um, well, look, that's, that's, their, that's their model, and that's what they do well. And uh, they're a fantastic club. You, you have to love what they're doing. And what they've done is not really brought in that many players which is, again, another thing that successful clubs do. You just add a few pieces after each season, obviously, to cover your losses. Niakate, left field from, uh, from Guangong. He's had a great start to the season. Victor Gomez, unfortunately, the right back, he got injured about, I don't know, 15, 20 minutes into his opening game. But uh, he'll provide some uh, competition for Fabiano when he comes back. Really important they hold on to Mizrati, Tom. Really important they hold on to Mizrati, because yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm not yeah. sure... They just don't have anyone else at that level in that position. And you're seeing Alvaro Jalot just come out of nowhere. He's been coming off the bench and looking really good. Diogo Lainez on loan from Betis scored a goal in Aruca. So he's another option. We already talked about Banza. So they're a deep squad looking really strong. I'll be going to that derby against Guimaraes. I mean, I was at Gimenez last night, Tom. They are bad. You know, it's a, I know it's a bit of a cliche, but I think it's a true cliche. The, these big derbies, you can kind of form book. The form book sometimes doesn't really tell you that much. You know, there'd be a, a fierce atmosphere there. So, uh, you know, Victoria, they'd be up for it for sure. It's not going to matter if they're up for it, Tom. 
I'm telling you now, so. this is going to get ugly. This is going to get ugly. Um, but we'll talk about Gimenez a little bit yeah, it's later. The game of the, it's probably the game of the weekend, I'd say, the, uh, you know, this next round for sure. You know, that's always uh, outside the big three, without a doubt. That's the biggest game in Portugal, the Minho Derby. You know, whether uh, Braga Gimenez or Gimenez Braga. And uh, yeah, we've just been, you know, heaping praise on Braga and saying what an absolutely brilliant start they had to the, the season. 4-0, 5-0, I would assume would be, would be very, very likely. Okay, let's move on to Porto. I saw their game against Marítimo. Oh, actually, I saw their first three games. Uh, they crushed Marítimo, who were, well, they were bad. And then Porto left it really late to win in Vizela, Marcano, with that 90th minute header. And then uh, I saw the Classico against uh, Sporting. Of course, could have been a little bit different uh, with Marita hitting the post. Pedro Porro. So, yeah, I mean, maybe the 3-0 flattered uh, Porto a little bit. Then we had that huge result the other night, Tom, in uh, in Villa de Conte, where uh, their defence was just sliced open, just horrible. Uh, Pep and Marcano... Just getting and Joao Mario as well. Three 0 down at half time. Conceição not happy. So uh, as you, I guess, read in my report and listeners might have done also. Porto on the road, not looking too good, Tom. And they got another what could be difficult match in in Barcelos against Gil Vicente. What have you made of the Dragons so far? Up and down, I suppose you have to say, don't you? Certainly very contrasting uh, results. Their home games and their away games. Uh, of course, we all knew. When they sold uh, Fabio, uh, Vitinha, especially, what a key player he was last season. Really, they almost, it, was, it was so unusual for Porto to, and uh, I think especially Conceição, almost build that whole team around uh, Vitinha and the way he played. He was really the creative hub, and uh, you know, well, you know, got sold for 40 million to PSG. You know, I'm sure, even though PSG. Uh, got bags of money uh, they wouldn't have spent that much if they hadn't seen something special there so yeah I think uh, you know it's going to take them a while to figure out how to kind of recalibrate their team which to be fair to Conceição he's been very good at doing since he's been at Porto you know it's five uh, years three championships and almost a different team every year or different playing style every year so yeah he's got a bit of working out to do they've got to do it quite quickly we have to remember of course Matt Porto had only lost one game against Braga away towards the end of last season in something like uh, 14 months or something, an absolutely ridiculous record. You know, they were just basically unbeatable. And uh, they've lost one early this season. And yeah, they've got, they've, they've got a bit of working out to do. Yeah, when you look through the squad, Tom, it's obvious that uh, this ageing central defence uh, just gets older and older. And it's normal when managers give the benefit of the doubt to one of the established guys before playing a new signing. And that's exactly what he did with Marcano. And of course, with Marcano scoring a couple of goals, it was difficult for him to uh, to drop him and bring in uh, David Carmo. But, uh, you know, it's obvious that's going to happen now. Behind them, who is it? Fabio Cardoso? You know, João Mario was really poor defensively. I guess Manafa, he's had some injury problems. He'll, he'll get a game, maybe even... Uh, Rodrigo Conceição, maybe he's, we start to see more of him, but in central midfield beyond Uribe and Grujic, I mean, there's not that much there. I've got to say, Pep Aquino is 
it's just I'm not going to bag on him, but I just don't see much really there. I know he's played a, a number of different positions. You're looking up front, it's always the Evan Nilsson, Taremi with Martinez. I mean, it's very predictable as well. He's trying to play that sort of 4-3-1-2 with a guy in behind the strikers that started off with Danny Namaso, and then he's tried Aquino. So I've got no doubt that this, this result will see uh, Sergio Constancion shape things up. We'll see Gabriel Veron get a lot more game time. Of course, David Carmo will come in. He might have to do something about exactly where Ottavio is playing also to give him a lot more ball. Losing Vitinha, losing Fabio Vieira, it's uh, it's difficult to see sort of how they've replaced Vitinha in midfield. It doesn't look like they've done that. Another big loss, I think, not so talked about, is Mbemba in central defence. You know, he was absolutely superb last season. And I think he's been a big loss. You know, I actually put him in my team of the season last season in central defence. He was that good. And uh, yeah, so, you know, missing Mbemba, missing Vieira, missing Vitinha, you know, they're three pretty big pieces uh, who they've got to, who they've lost. And so perhaps we shouldn't be too surprised that they're, you know, uh, taking a bit of time to readjust. It's difficult, isn't it? When you're losing your top players year in, year out, and we're seeing in Portugal, these big clubs are losing these players earlier and earlier and younger and younger. And they're having to replace them, uh, you know, much more often. We've still got a few days in the transfer window, haven't we, Tom? So it's going to be interesting, isn't it, what clubs do with uh, with time running out to uh, to strengthen their squads. Let's move on to Sporting Clube do Portugal. Well, I saw their, uh, saw their opening game in Braga, 3-3. So obviously, there was some defensive issues there. They beat Rio Ave 3-0. And then we just talked about that game uh, they lost in Porto, 3-0. But then, Tom, at home, a game you were at. Uh, losing 2-0 to promoted Sharps. What did you see? Terrible, really, from Sporting. You know, first half, it was kind of predictable, kind of game you see so often in Portugal. Big club at home against a smaller club. One-way traffic. It looked, uh, but, you know, Sporting really didn't create too much. They were on top. The whole of that first 45 minutes was played in the Sharps half. But you could tell they weren't, there was really no cutting edge at all there, you know. And you've you got to remember, Matt, it's just a little bit of the modus operandi of sporting under Ruben Amarie, you know, although they've been very successful these last two years, they've never been a side which has gone out and scored loads of goals. You know, they've always been very tight defensively and uh, just kind of gradually worn down their opponents. And so it looked like, you know, that would probably be what would happen in the second half. And boy, <laughs> not at all what happened. Shavs came out much more ambitious and caused sporting all sorts of problems. Uh, scored two goals, two good goals, and Sporting just fell apart. They just seemed to panic a bit, just swung in cross after cross aimlessly into the middle with no striker in the box. We just talked about Porto and how they've been affected by the players who have left. And there's no doubt about it. You know, Sporting, they sold Polinia, uh, they sold Matias Nunes when it's everything seemed to point towards him staying for at least until January, until the World Cup. And that's really kind of, I think, thrown a spanner in the works. Uh, of course, there's been a lot of talk among the sporting fans of the fact that the, uh, Amarine insists on playing uh, Paulinho and not only playing Paulinho, but really only having Paulinho as their number one striker. He's injured. So they've really got no one up there. They've got no focal point. I have to say, it looks a, a little bit of a mess at the moment. Four games, Sporting have played. Only won one, and this is a real challenge now for Amarine. Sporting really just seemed very flat 
I'd say is the word I'd use. Very flat, very uninspiring. Uh, you know, even among the crowd in the stadium, you could kind of, bit of a lack of, uh, of atmosphere, of excitement, you know, normally at the start of the season. Everyone's really kind of raring to go, looking forward to, you know, what might happen in the new season. You kind of sense a bit more of an anxiety in the stadium. You know, I think sporting fans are ready. Of course, they're watching their neighbours, Benfica, just looking a completely different team to what they've looked like in recent seasons. And so that makes it even more worrying. Yeah, this squad is looking ordinary, isn't it? I mean, Pablo Sarabia, another guy that did a lot of good things in the offensive end, he's gone. And I think you saw from Amodim's comments after they sold Nunes that uh, he didn't want to lose Tabata, who um, might have got a lot more playing time this season if he had have stayed. But honestly, you go through this team, Antonio Adan, Luis Neto. Why is Luis Neto on, on the pitch when, you, when you've brought in uh, Jeremia Sanjust? It just doesn't make any sense. And then, you know, the other day, Ricardo Eshgayo, who is nothing more than just a backup. They brought in Morita from Santa Clara in central midfield. They just brought in a, a young Greek midfielder, Sotirish Alexandropoulos, who has got a couple of caps for Greece. Five million from Panathinaikos, so we'll have to see how he goes. But Rochinha, really? Paulinho, the only striker you've got, really? It's just terrible squad planning. The scouting department there, I guess they're limited by uh, the finances available, despite selling Paulinho and uh, Nunes for good cash. It just goes to show that even clubs like Sporting have financial problems. So it's no surprise that all the other teams in the league uh, are struggling financially too. And you're seeing that all the way down. His comments after they sold Nunes were not good. I mentioned in something I wrote that, you know, he's probably looking for a way out. I'm not sure that he's, he's he wants to be there much longer. Obviously, he has a lot of enjoyment bringing the young guys through. And we'll probably see a lot more of that just because out of sheer necessity. Really happy to see uh, Rodrigo Ribeiro. I saw him a lot at the Under-17 European Championship. But, you know, placing responsibility on guys like that is not great, is it? And we've seen a, a couple of promising performances from Ishaku Fatawu. Maybe one of these guys can break through. But on a whole, they can't win the league. They've got no chance. Sporting are really so reliant on their younger players. They're, it's a really, really young squad. And, uh, yeah, it's just been poorly put together, I think, because, uh, I mean, even, I suppose, their marquee signing, say Francisco Trincao, you know, he was pretty awful, I have to say. Maybe it's a bit too much pressure, you know, bringing someone like that in and saying, OK, you're, you're the guy who's going to ignite our attack. You know, he's 22 years old, uh, didn't get much playing time for Wolves last season. We're not even in September yet, are we? And it's already looking like a season of transition for sporting, really, building for <laughs> the next season. Let's see if uh, things turn around. Yeah, I mean, they've conceded eight goals in four games. And a lot of their success was built on that defensive solidity, wasn't it? And, yeah. uh, and keeping things tight and keeping clean sheets. They don't even look like doing that. And their, their attack is just nowhere near as good as, it, as what it was. So it's bad. it's bad everywhere. Let's move on, shall we? And uh, let's go down the table, Tom. Porto Monense. I mean, you have to have an Algarve club in the top flight, don't you? What have we seen? Olianense, they came and went. We saw Ferenc, they didn't last long. But Porto Monense have managed to hang around a bit. And uh, they started the season really well, Tom. Lost the first game against uh, Boavista, but now three games on the trot. i got to admit, I've got nothing on Porto Menence. For some reason, they just escape me every time they come up north here. We had a, an article written on the site by uh, Barney from uh, the Longball Football Podcast, highlighting their uh, Brazilian striker who... Uh, what do, can we, 
can we say shot to fame by uh, machine gunning some of the uh, Gimadash ultras with the with the corner flag. I'm not going to talk about teams I don't really see. Have you got anything on Porto Manets? No, I haven't seen them yet either. Uh, the only thing I'd say, Paulo Sergio, of course, the manager, I think is one of a little bit of these old-style Portuguese managers, very much defence first, generally. And just having a look at their stats, they've only conceded two goals in four games. So that's obviously their strength. So, uh, yeah, you know, good start. And like you said, you know, you really do need a, it's a, a club, at least one club from the Algarve. It's a good start to their season. We'll keep an eye on them. And, of course, if you want any more information on these clubs that uh, Tom and I haven't seen, then, uh, of course, head to the Longball Football Podcast. And they do a great job of breaking down uh, all the teams in the Primera Liga. Okay, Tom, next down, Estoril. Another team that have had a good start to the season. They got promoted last campaign, did pretty well, although they sort of tailed off a little bit. You were there when you yeah, saw them uh, draw 2-2 two, two against the OAV. What did you see? goes to show you know some of these smaller teams in Portugal really do play some nice quality football and you get some great spectacles and great matches and this was a really entertaining game. Estoril of course managed now by Nelson Verissimo. He's got them playing some nice football. He's used his Benfica connection to bring in a few loanees. One of them Thiago Gouveia who started very well and he scored the equaliser in that match. Beautiful goal. Estoril slightly fortunate maybe to get the draw. But then they, you know, they bounced back uh, and had a really good result this weekend, of course, in they dispatching passes to Ferreira 3-0. Real fun club, Estoril. You know, really small stadium. They've also brought in recently Joao Carvalho, come back to Portugal. I expect him to do quite well there. An interesting squad, young players, young manager, all of them with a lot to prove. I think they have a good season. Nelson Verissimo, my assessment of him really increased last season, especially as he guided Benfica through those uh, Champions League games, getting past Ajax, and then obviously a really tough uh, tie against Liverpool. I think it's a pretty sharp piece of business for Estoril to get Nelson Verissimo. Somehow Estoril and Porto Manense are the two teams that just keep escaping me. Chaves, another one of the promoted clubs, Tom, from way up north, undefeated in three. And, of course, picking up that 2-0 win against Sporting in Lisboa the other day. What did you see from them on the pitch? It was thoroughly deserved. That's one thing to say. That, you know, there was no doubt about it. They were the better, better team, the better organised team. It, and it wasn't kind of one of those smash-and-grab wins you sometimes see. The smaller sides when they play a big three. Uh, you know, first half, yeah, they pretty much part of the first defensive effort. The second half played their football, played really well, took their chances. Actually, probably as well as the you know the two goals they scored, they had one or two other very good chances. They've brought in some important players. Of course, Stephen Vittoria scored an incredible header to to break the deadlock in that game against Sporting, and he's got a whole world of experience. You know, he's been in Portugal for years and years in a top flight. Luta Singh, he didn't actually play uh, against Sporting because they uh, they'd only signed him a couple of days before. But again, he's looked really good uh, on his previous stint here in Portugal. That passes to Ferreira, so I expect him to, to score a few goals. And it, I tell you, it was, it was incredible, uh, Matt, because probably their star player and their kind of talisman, their captain, Joao Teixeira, wasn't even playing this game. You know, he was suspended, had been sent off in the previous game. They've got some good players. I was impressed with Joao Bacci, the right winger, very tall, agile player, very physical. He's also got some... Uh, he's got some good vision on him. He's played a beautiful through ball, put the striker clean through. He looks a good player. He actually also provided the cross for the, for the first goal for Stephen Victoria. 
most highly rated players, a left back, Bruno Langer. Didn't have a great game against Sporting, to be honest. I think he was, I uh, don't know if he was a, a little bit overawed by the occasion. But, uh, but yeah, they've got some good players there. They've got some good experience and, uh, yeah, solid start to the season. Another promoted club, Casa Pia, Tom. I saw them, I did their report when they played uh, Benfica. They played really well. And I made the comment after that game that uh, they're going to be hard to uh, hard to break down this season. Of course, they've had a fair bit of time to get used to Philippe Martins, get used to his tactics, which is basically carbon copy of uh, Amorim. It's that classic three central defenders, wingbacks going nuts, couple of holding midfielders, and then three guys up front. And of course, it's all about the Nigerian winger there, Savior Godwin, really, really quick. And every time they win the ball, pretty much they're looking to get it to him to uh, to break clear. I was there last night, Tom. They beat Gimaraish 1-0. It could have been 2-3-0 at half time. Godwin, I mean, <laughs> he broke in from the left wing and he had the Japanese winger, Kuni, just completely unmarked. Completely unmarked. He just would have strolled in for a one-on-one. And Godwin decided to try his luck from outside the box. Just these are the sorts of decisions, you know, at, which prove just why players like this don't go higher in the game. I mean, he might get better, but he's already 26. It's the decision-making. I mentioned it with David Neres before. To move on from them, yeah, I liked uh, Rafael Martins. He was good up front. The left-back was also quite good. Leonardo Lelo, 22-year-old. This team just knows what they're doing. They're, uh, they're going to be hard to break down. They're going to be hard to score against. And if they take the lead like they did last night, then they're just going to say, okay, break us down if you can. Kibarash weren't good enough to do that. Great to see, isn't it, Tom? These promoted clubs coming in and uh, punching above their weight so early on. And uh, great to have teams like Shavs, Kazapia in the top flight, and, and hopefully they can hang around for a while, disrupt some of these other clubs that have been sort of flirting with relegation. Anything you got on Kazapia? One goal conceded. They've got the best defence in the league apart from Benfica. So, yeah, you know, they're, they're looking good. They've only scored three goals, but that's been enough for two victories and a, and a draw. So, yeah, they're looking good. And just on your point of the promoted clubs, amazing weekend this was for the promoted clubs. Win for Casabia at Victoria, you know, uh, win for Shavs at Sporting, and a win for Rio Ave against Porto. So, yeah. Yeah, and of course, we shouldn't forget that they, they couldn't play their game against Benfica in their home stadium. So they had zero home advantage there. So that was another thing that went against them. Really looking forward to getting down there and uh, you know going to their stadium and uh, learning a bit more about this club. Seeing them more in action live. Really enjoyed that game last night. Which brings us on to Gimaraes, Tom. I saw their first two games in the Conference League. They're against Pushkash and then against uh, Hashduk Split. And it's going to take a lot of time for the new president, Miguel Pinto Lisboa, to get things done. Some of his comments about the sporting director were pretty full on. Of course, we saw the manager, Pepper, dismissed right before the beginning of the season with some disagreements about the transfer policy, which is all dictated by finances. We've already spoken about sporting, and Gimenez are no different. We've just seen uh, Andre Almeida sold to Valencia for seven and a bit million. It's not looking good, Tom, I have to say. The crowd last night, not happy about what happened, losing to Casapia probably weren't as aware of Casapia uh, as you and I are. They just thought, well, promoted club, we're at home, we should be winning this game. Looking for some positives, maybe Andre Amaro, young centre-back. Marga, the right-back, had a really good strong start to the season, but he got injured. But overall, it just looks like this is going to be a long, tough season for Gimaraes, Tom. They're a mystery to me, Victoria Gimaraes. You look at the size of that club, you look at their support, 
best supported club outside of Big Three. They should do a whole lot better. Look what Bragg have done, you know, their neighbours over the last 10 years. And you look at Gimmer Reigns, it's just how many times have we heard this conversation, which you've just said there, talking about kind of behind the scenes, presidents, financial problems, it just seems to never change. And so, yeah, it's, it's a shame because if that club ever sorted itself out, you know, it's got the potential to, to be another bragger without, without a doubt. But yeah, they seem a long, a long way from there. Yeah, it's going to take them a long time. It's just a rotten culture there. And I was speaking to a really smart guy yesterday, actually, a season ticket holder on my way out, and we had a nice conversation. He's a, a realist. <laughs> he, he knows what the deal is, and uh, it's going to take a lot of time. Bob Ishta, Tom, they had a good start to the season, won their first two games. They were victims uh, against Kazapia, and then I was at their game the other day. They lost against Benfica. I made the comment, actually, that uh, they're nowhere near as good as what they were in February when they drew that fixture, coming back from 2-0 to draw 2-2. Again, we've seen a lot of their better players uh, leave. Peter Musa, Sawyer. I thought Nathan also was, was pretty good. So, again, they're another club that are uh, trying to rebuild. Petit doing his best there, but um, hard to see them any more than just mid-table battlers this season. You got anything on the ball, Bishta? I think Petit, you know, of course, club hero, won the championship there as a player. Probably the right manager for that squad, you know, and that and that situation. He normally is able to kind of grind out results here and there. Uh, I certainly don't really see them doing anything spectacular this season. Yeah, let's move on to Adorka. Obviously, you saw that game uh, when they lost 4-0 at Benfica. They won their next two, Pichu Vicente, and then won 2-0 uh, in the Azores against Santa Clara. But... <laughs> Brought back to earth in a hurry here, Tom. Smashed. 6-0 at home to Braga. I guess anyone that thought that there was some positivity there has to reassess things after this defeat. Although uh, they got beaten 4-0 by Benfica in that first game of the season, I was actually quite impressed with Aruka. I thought that was a little bit of a harsh scoreline. And uh, I think that, yeah, they had a player sent off, Aruka, just before half-time, and then it all kind of fell apart. But... For the, for the first half especially, they were uh, you know, pretty much bat- matching Benfica and uh, a couple of interesting players. I was quite impressed with a player I'd never even heard of before. He's just come into Aruka, a huge centre-back, an, an English centre-back actually, called Jerome Opuku. He was really impressive. I think he got a yellow card in the very first minute and I thought, uh-oh, he could be in trouble, but played really well the rest of the game. I wasn't too surprised when... Uruka bounced back, got a couple of wins straight away. But yeah, like you said, that was, uh, you know, however good Braga are, when you get beaten 6-0, yeah, there's obviously something wrong there. They definitely have some work to do defensively, but, you know, I don't think they'll be in relegation trouble. Let's see what happens. Yeah, they're another club that have had a high turnover of players going to take Armando Evangelista a little bit of time to sort that out. I don't have a lot on Aruka. As a, as a team yet. I haven't seen them. But what I will say is it's such a beautiful part of Portugal, Tom. I'm not sure how long they're going to hang around in the Primeira Liga, but if people are interested in coming to watch some football in Portugal, I would definitely recommend uh, going to Aruca and try plan a few days there, get into all the beautiful nature activities that are available in Aruca. All right, Tom, the Zella, team that are doing a lot of good things on and off the pitch. A lot of that's uh, generated by Samu, in midfield, and also uh, Kiko Bandozo. Alvaro Pacheco is really doing good things there, Tom. They're looking like they're uh, really ready to consolidate their position in the Primera Liga. 
Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, really. I caught the game yesterday uh, on TV against Gilles Vicente. Great game, great game at Vizela. Uh, really well-run club as well. You know, you can tell almost always a, a good crowd in there. Small, compact stadium, but you know, completely packed with passionate uh, fans. And uh, yeah, Kiko Pondoso, he's the man, isn't he? Really good. Again, yesterday scored a goal. Really, was at the heart of almost everything they did going forward. I was also impressed with Guzu, Rafael Guzu, in midfield. He looked, you know, he looked like a, a classy player, like you said, Samu. You know, a real competitor. A very good squad to work with. Pacheco with his, uh, you know, trademark cap. <laughs> a club doing a lot with a little. I think they're too well organised. They've got too many good players, too much of a good thing going to have anything other than a a successful season. I wouldn't be surprised if they followed uh, last season, which was also, of course, their first season back in the top flight with a really comfortable season. I'd expect them to finish mid-table, maybe even just squeeze into the top half. Yeah, you mentioned Rafael Guzzo, which brings me to another point that once you start following the Portuguese youth teams quite regularly over a period of time, you start to see these guys who... We're in these Portugal youth teams, obviously never got to the Cell Cell, never really got to big clubs, but yet they're so influential now for teams like Vizela. Uh, you see Guga in, uh, in Rio Ave. Yeah, you, you mentioned yeah. Chico Geraldes in Estoril. Um, the guy in the Nacional, I can't remember his name, but and they all play in that central midfield sort of, you know, attacking central midfield role. It's really quite interesting. So that's just something I've, uh, I've noticed. Okay, Tom, what have we got next? Gilles Vicente. Well, I've seen a fair bit of them. Alkmaar. I was at the second leg, Tom. I'm assuming you read what I had to say about Evo Vieira. I thought I was kind in a way. I mean, I had to change the wording of it. I said that what he did was unforgivable, and then I changed that to borderline unforgivable. I don't really like to go in too hard on players or managers, but Tom, he threw in the towel before a ball had even been kicked, basically said to his players, you're not good enough. You're not going to overturn this deficit. We're not even going to try. He not only said that to his players, well, obviously not directly, but he said it to every single person in the stadium who paid money, who were maybe not thinking that they were going to overturn the deficit, but at least try. At least try. Put your best players out there. See if you can score an early goal. Give give RZ Alkmaar something to think about. Maybe nick another goal. At least try. And if it doesn't work, okay, then bring your, your star players off and then rest them for this game uh, last night in Vizela. Am I being too harsh on it? It was a strange decision, I'd, uh, you know, because it's almost like you'd expect something like that to happen if the club was in danger of relegation, which you would think that Gilles Vicente had really just too much in their squad to be to be worrying about that. Uh, you know, or, or maybe you'd think they'd do that if it was on the eve of a, you know, a huge game, maybe. Maybe imagine they were playing one of the big three at home or something and he wanted to you know to prepare for that but yeah it, I agree with you it just seemed a strange decision and when I read your report the one thing which occurred to me which was presumably he was resting these players but surely your best players how are you how are they going to get even better how are they going to improve it's precisely by playing against top quality opposition top quality teams and so even from that point of view you know even if it was unlikely that they would it was always uh, you know going to be very unlikely that they would manage to turn around the, the, the time you know but their players surely would learn more they would grow you know they would develop it would help in their development uh, if they played that game 
so yeah, I agree with you. Very strange decision. I, I just I can't believe it. I can't believe it. Why you would just give up? I mean, so what if you lose against Vizela last night? Is that really going to affect your season that much? I mean, what, what, what's he hoping to achieve really? Anyway, on the playing front, I guess you know, the squad's not bad. You, you've got Tomas Araujo coming to central defence. He's um, on loan from Benfica B. Adrian Marin, the left back, he's a huge upgrade on on the yeah. Gomes. And uh, they brought in a couple of other young left backs. Still a lot of uh, quality there with uh, Vitor Carvalho. Bosselli shown quite a lot on the wing. Scored that yeah, great goal yeah. in, in Latvia. Yeah. The squad's not bad. Now they can get back to uh, focusing on whatever Ivo Vieta is focusing on. Rio Avtom, I saw them lose that first game of the season. 1-0 at home against Vizela. They couldn't even manage a shot on target. Then they lost 3-0 at Sporting. And then the game you talked about before, Tom, where they were a little bit unlucky. They they really performed well at Estoril, got the 2-2 draw. And then the other night, well, second shock of the round. Unbelievable. 3-0 at halftime, carving up Porto's defence time and time again, as is with a double. And then uh, combining with Pedro Amaral. Really good. The change in the supporters after one game is just ridiculous. I mean... They were just giving it to the president, everyone in the presidential box here after the first game. Zero supporting the team. Basically just given up after one game. And then the next home game, this happens. And, you know, the crowd are on fire. The president is a genius. And uh, just incredible, incredible stuff, Tom. Yeah, well, I didn't see the first game, but I read your report, obviously. And I thought I was quite surprised because Rio Ave, of course, were champions last season. And most people had them down as the free of the three teams which came up, the ones which would probably do best this season. And that sounded quite ominous from your report. Uh, but yeah, uh, when I went to see them at Estoril, really impressed with them. You know, like I said, they, they went down early. First 10 minutes or so, Estoril were on top. But then basically for the next 70 minutes, Rio have pretty much dominated that game and playing really nice football, I thought, you know, on the ground, uh, zipping it around in midfield. Uh, Guga, oh, Guga was just superb that game, uh, you know, without doubt the, the man of the match. Uh, of course, they're, they're right back as well, Costinha, he looks a really fine player, doesn't he? I think he's he's got a big future. So, uh, yeah, and Aziz, of course, Aziz also scored against Estoril. It's kind of easy to get your players up for a game like this. You know, Porto are coming to town, demolish that eastern stand now, so everyone's packed in to the western stand. Can you keep that going? Can you maintain that week in, week out? They've made some moves also late in the transfer window. We've got Josue Saar, central defender. Andrea Samadish, uh, Tom, you remember him? He's uh, the Greek central midfielder. He's come in, uh, 33 now, so there's a bit more competition. Of course, they brought in a couple of strikers later on. Emmanuel Boateng returning and Hernani. So a few more options there for Luis Friere. He's a young manager, 36, and just... Just what the doctor ordered for him, isn't it? This uh, this massive three points. I mean, the, the pressure just gone. And, uh, you know, it can get get down to business now. What have we got next? Famale Cal. Well, they were pretty average last season, weren't they? And uh, managed to sort of improve and get away from any relegation drama. They were awful beginning of this season. Couldn't score in their first three games. I was at that game at home. They lost 3-0 against Braga. They did better in the second half, but not really too much there. And then uh, managed to get in the press box on for the first time for Malacal. Really happy about that. Old school. Uh, they got the win here, 1-0 against Santa Clara. Yusuf with a pretty nice goal. I have to say, it was all about Ivo Rodriguez. Again, again, Tom. I remember seeing him at the Under-20 World Cup in, what, 2015 or something. So another one of these guys that's you know, has some talent and now the main man for one of these mid-table clubs in Portugal. He's not a central midfielder, but 
he was really influential here. Like we've mentioned with so many of these other clubs, just a huge, huge player turnover here. It's going to take some time for sure for Rui Pedro Silva to sort out his, uh, his best 11 and to try and get some uh, consistency here. What, what have you got on Famalicão? This has been their model, hasn't it? They basically almost buy a new squad or half a new squad every season. Lots of uh, wheeler dealing, you know, lots of ins and outs. And uh, they've actually, that it, it, when they first came up, it kind of blended straight away and they had a really good season. But the last couple of seasons, first half of the last couple of seasons, they've really struggled and looked like they you know, that they, they might be in relegation trouble. And that's not really too surprising when you consider that a whole load of players have just been thrown together. So, yeah, uh, like you said, big job here to, to get them playing well, playing as a cohesive unit as quickly as possible. Because they've, they've got a few good players. I don't know uh, if you noticed, I don't know if you even played, Ivan Haim. No, he's injured. Is you know, really class player. If they can get him up and firing, that will make a big difference. Yeah, exactly. Uh, no, he's, he's not far away. He's not far away, Pedro Silva. You know, he's brought in, um, I haven't butchered a name for a few minutes, Tom, so we'll have a go with this one, the Albanian centre-back. And they are, is it Mihaj or Mihai? I don't know. And uh, Riccieli, the, the captain, 23-year-old centre-back. So that'll probably be the first choice, central defensive partnership with uh, Panetra back to the bench for a while. But no, he's close. He's close to, to figuring out what's going on here. You saw Brazal, young 19-year-old in the attacking midfield role. The left winger, Cadile, on loan from Moren. He, he looked pretty good. And uh, I'm sure he'll persist with uh, Milan, the, the Spanish striker up front. So he's not far away from uh, knowing his best 11. A good thing compared to some of his counterparts who don't have a clue. Which brings me on to Santa Clara, another club who uh, had a high turnover, Tom. Mario Silva, he's under some pressure there. They started off with a draw and now they've lost three straight games. They weren't too bad. A lot of talent, I think, from Gabriel Silva, the young Brazilian, but he hasn't started yet. They've got enough talent here on the books. They brought in enough talent. It's just going to take a fair bit of time for Mario Silva to sort this out. I really haven't seen Santa Clara yet, so I can't really comment. The only thing I'd say, of course, like we've mentioned already a few times today, they've got some big misses from the last few seasons. You know, Lincoln and Morito. Probably, probably their two best players. Yeah, exactly. And uh, they left. They've left, and so you know they're, they're big holes to fill. Yeah, you can see what they've done in the transfer market, but he's just got such a huge, you know, turnover of players, and it's going to take time. A little bit worried about them, but I think they should be okay. But um, someone's got to go down, Tom. Someone's got to go down, and uh, let's talk about two teams currently occupying those relegation positions: Pasos de Ferreira. Oh man. They've lost all four games. They've scored one goal. Players getting sent off left, right and centre. And uh, I haven't seen them yet this season, but it's not looking good at all. It's a bit of a mess. Cesar Peixota, their coach, is one of these coaches who's tried a few uh, a few clubs, hasn't really had too much success, came in towards the end of last season, did really well at Passos when they were struggling. Looked like they could go down and he managed to turn it round. whole series of draws few wins was good enough for, to see them stay up but they've started this season very poorly I wouldn't be very confident of them turning it round it's going to be tough he might not last too long if, if it stays like this I saw a bit of their game on TV I think it was your percent maybe Nigel Thomas looked pretty pretty good Matroy Jello also 19 year old and they managed to get Keiki uh, the young Brazilian from uh, on loan from Manchester City so he's obviously got a fair bit of class and talent and it might just be a matter of someone like that just taking over. 
getting them some wins. But yeah, you're going to see them tonight, aren't you, at Benfica? And which brings us to the last club down the bottom, Maritimo. And I saw them get crushed in Porto 5-1. I think they gave away probably two or three goals just with stupid passes and losing possession in their own half. And then I saw them get crushed 5-0 in Braga. I guess there was a fair bit of optimism. I mean, I was there not that long ago and talking to people at the club about uh, Siabra. Obviously, he came in last season. They're terrible at the moment, Tom. Stripping goals left, right and centre. Siabra, I mean, I think he's quite a popular coach here in Portugal because... Uh, he's got some quite spectacular results because when he t- he's one of these managers, when he's uh, in charge of one of the smaller teams, whenever he plays against a Porto, Benfica, Sporting, Braga, he plays, you know, like I say in Portugal, eye to eye. You know, he doesn't really part the burst. He really tries to, to give it a go. But that entails risk, of course. And, uh, you know, the risk has really uh, been laid bare in these two games against Porto and Braga, you know, conceding five goals in both of them. And really, you know, when you start losing multiple games uh, by those kind of scores, you know, you can only imagine what that does to the confidence of the players. I think he really needs to turn it around very fast. There's a, a little bit of what you could call almost a, a, a relegation six-pointer in, the, in their next game. They're playing against Santa Clara. And, uh, you know, both of those clubs struggling. And I think, uh, you know, if if Siabra doesn't manage to turn it around very soon, uh, I think there could be a, a change in manager there. He basically hasn't given any of the new signings a start yet. And, I mean, the warning bell should have been ringing loud and clear after that, that opening game in Porto. So, you know, he's taken too long to realise that. But I guess he can change that in a hurry, which he, he will have to do. Pablo Moreno will be the obvious one to to get some more game time up front. Okay, we're going to take a break and we're going to come back and just talk a little bit about Portuguese football as a whole. We'll speak to you soon. Okay, welcome back to the Portugal podcast. We're going to take a look at Portuguese football in Europe. Let's talk about the coefficient, Tom. I know you've been keeping a close eye on this. There are some warning signs for Portugal. We've just talked about all the teams there, and I think one thing we see when we look at the coefficients and Port- the way Portuguese teams perform in Europe is there's a clear division. Big three and Braga, you know, they normally uh, they do okay. Of course, some seasons better, some seasons worse, but they can normally hold their own get a few spectacular results here and there. I think the big difference and the big problem for Portuguese clubs is the drop-off after those clubs, you know, and that's important. That's important when it comes to the UEFA coefficient points because basically, without going into too much detail, a win for Guimarães or Gilles Vicente against, you know, Latvian or, you know, a Croatian opposition is worth exactly the same as, for instance, Porto beating Juventus or something like that. And these clubs, uh, of course, the Portuguese kind of lower ranked clubs, haven't managed to get through to the Conference League groups, which means there's a whole lot of points there which are going to be clocked up by Dutch clubs. I flag up Dutch because the Netherlands is the, the country which is about to overtake Portugal in the country rankings. Why is this important? Because at the end of the season, your total amount of coefficient points decides how many clubs will go into the Champions League, how many clubs will go into the Europa League, 
the following season and uh, you know and when they will go in if they go directly into the group stages or if they go through qualifying and if it continues as it has been the tendency last two seasons especially we could get to a situation quite quickly where Portugal only has one club directly in the Champions League and another club going through qualification so you know this is something which really is a bit of a problem why does it happen I think like I said the real big difference is these clubs who are uh, you know I'd say fifth fifth club downwards from Portugal really struggle to play against counterparts uh, when they for instance the equivalent team in the Netherlands let's say Gilles Vicente we just saw them there's a bit of a quality gap between those those two teams really the Portuguese league doesn't do anything to try and address this situation and try and help these clubs we saw Benfica before their uh, second qualifying game against Dinamo Kiev their match their league match against Passos de Ferreira got postponed so they could prepare for it well this is kind of common practice we see in lots of other countries for some reason the Portuguese league did that for Benfica but didn't do it for Vitoria Guimarães and Gil Vicente so I mean you know what kind of message is that sending out and what kind of help is that giving to these clubs you know zero also we've got the problem of these clubs quite often it rotates quite a lot the fifth sixth club uh, in the Portuguese league who qualifies for Europe you know I remember it was Passos de Ferreira a few years ago under Paulo Fonseca it was Estoril uh, when Marco Silva was there it's Vitoria you know quite often and then what happens these clubs have a really good season because they have a good season in the summer or the close season their best two three four players get picked off get sold and so when it comes to playing in European competition it's not the same strong team that it was the previous season and so that's also you know puts them at another disadvantage so basically I'm not sure Matt I don't know if you have any ideas but I think this is a trend unfortunately which is going to be very difficult to reverse let's just address Liga Portugal first and how pathetic they are, as you say, to give Benfica that day off or postpone their game and not give Gil Vicente and Guimarães the same luxury. That's just completely pathetic and disrespectful, but it shouldn't really come as much of a surprise. I think there's a lot of factionism going on in Liga Portugal. Probably the, the head honchos there making decisions. Probably all of them support one of the big three clubs in one way or another. That wouldn't surprise me whatsoever. It's just a disgrace. It's just a disgrace that they would not give Guimarães and Gil Vicente the best possible opportunity to get through. Another thing is the draw and how brutal the draw was. I mean, we talked about Guimarães. Even if they had have got past Hajduk's split, they had no chance against Villarreal. I mean, let's keep it real. And yeah, I mean, Gil Vicente didn't have a great draw against AZ Alkmaar. The draw was unlucky and we saw, didn't we, not that long ago, was it? Rio Ave, wasn't it, against AC Milan. Took them all the way to penalties. So the draw obviously plays a big role. I mean, I've said what I have to say about Liga Portugal. Just just, just, just unbelievable. And there was also a lot of hoo-ha when uh, Benfica went to play that game against Casapia in Leiria. And originally, Liga Portugal was saying, well, we, we, you know, Porto and Sporting are going to have to play their games there as well. So it's, so it's, it's even, you know what I mean? So there's no disadvantage completely neglecting every other single team in the league, how there should be this special treatment for the top three. Just pathetic, just pathetic. And we also saw, Tom, we see continually how bad they are in their scheduling of the games. I mean, we had to wait till Sunday night to know 
when and where the games were going to be this weekend. As I said, this is a society issue. Liga Portugal just embody that to the max. Just a complete disgrace on so many levels. It's terrible. We could see some big changes with uh, the coefficient and how that's going to affect the top teams in Portugal, their automatic qualification for some of these competitions. Tom, let's just quickly touch on the top four and uh, who their opponents are. We've got uh, Benfica, of course. They did well to get past Ajax that game in Amsterdam. Wow. Never forget that one. Benfica have got Maccabi Haifa, Juventus and PSG. A couple of big boppers there, Tom. It's not going to be easy for Benfica to uh, to finish in the top two here. This is it, isn't it? This is going to be the acid test uh, of how good this Benfica side is. PSG, I mean, let's face it, they're probably one of the favourites. Well, they are, definitely, aren't they? One of the favourites to win the whole thing. I'd be very surprised if they get anything from those two games. It would be... Interesting to see the game at PSG, of course, because whenever Benfica played a huge Portuguese community, of course, in France, especially in Paris. And so I think they actually played a game there in the not too distant past where they, they, they were saying that perhaps half the, the, the fans in the stadium were Benfica fans. <laughs> so uh, that, that will be interesting to see if that happens again. Against Juventus, well, you know, if Benfica can kind of transpose their form in this uh, early part of the season and their domestic form and also their form in the in the qualifiers uh, into you know these bigger games then I'd say they've got a chance you know Juventus don't seem to be the the beast they were in previous seasons you know where they're just serial winners weren't they you've got to say that PSG are definitely going to win that group and Maccabi Haifa are definitely going to finish last Perhaps Juventus very slight favourites, but it wouldn't surprise me to see Benfica overcome them. Okay, let's move on to Porto, Tom. Of course, uh, they got knocked out by Lyon last season in uh, in the Europa League. Now we've got uh, Atletico Madrid, Club Brugge, and Bayer Leverkusen. It doesn't look that strong on paper. I guess Atletico definitely uh, the biggest challenge there. Although Bayer Leverkusen, pretty dangerous team on their day. Seems to me like Porto probably had the best chance of reaching the knockout rounds. Yeah, without a doubt. Also a chance for Porto to get revenge because last season they actually played, they were in a bit of a group of death last season. I think it was Milan, Liverpool and Atletico. And they actually played a really good group stage. They were unlucky in two or three of their matches, Porto. And but at the end, they got knocked out by Atletico at the Dragão. Uh, you know, 3-1, they lost that last game and that meant they were out of the Champions League. So, good chance for revenge. Yeah, I expect Porto to get through this group. Sporting Lisboa, we were at that game together, weren't we, Tom, when they just got annihilated by Manchester City in the first leg. This season, they've got Eintracht Frankfurt. Tottenham, going to be a huge challenge, and Marseille. So, I think a lot of people are looking at this group, thinking Sporting have a good chance, but I'm not so sure, Tom. And uh, after what we've seen... I don't like their chances. Well, if they play like they did on the weekend, no chance at all, without a doubt. Really tough group. Spurs, quite strong favourites to win this group. And then the other three, much of a muchness. I think Sporting would really have to be on top of their game to to have a chance of getting any results. Yeah, I'm not too confident, I have to say, of Sporting making progress. Amadim's going to really have to be at his best here. And the fixtures are really terrible. I mean, the first game is in Frankfurt, then they host Tottenham, then they've got to go to Marseille. Braga in the Europa League group stage. They've got Malmo, Union Berlin, and Union Saint Gilloire, Belgian team. Doesn't really look that strong on paper at all, but uh, I can tell you that 
Union Berlin are no joke. They're going to be tough to beat, but um, I think you'd have to say that Braga have a pretty good chance of getting through this group, Tom. Yeah, I'd expect them to go through. You know, they've, it's, like I say, it's just so impressive what Braga have done last 10, 15 years. They've really made themselves into European regular. And I'd say if Braga don't get through that group, it would be quite a surprise for us here in Portugal and I think for people in general. Okay, well, we're going to take another really quick little break here and uh, just come back with a piece of news that uh, you probably missed. Two-faced woman with your two-faced lies! I hope the two-faced liver made you satisfied! You told me, baby, I was your only Okay, Tom, a little piece of news that pretty much got lost in the uh, in the mix was uh, 70 day suspension and a 13,000 euro fine for sporting president Federico Varandash. This is with some comments he made at the end of last season uh, about uh, Jorge Nuno Pinto da Costa, of course, the Porto president. And uh, I'll just read it out here for the listeners exactly what Varandas said. Mr. Pinto da Costa, no matter how much it costs him and no matter how many attempts he makes to try to erase his actions, will always be remembered as an active corrupter. And I'll be here to remind him until the last day of his presidency that he is an active corrupter and a disgrace to Portuguese sport, while I look forward to the outcome of the blue card process. A country that recognizes Mr. Pinto da Costa as a reference is a country without values, and a country without values is a country without a future. Portugal cannot and will never be that country. Tom, I know you don't want to get into this, but I will ask you, what is your assessment of Mr. Varandas, especially since he's uh, taken over the presidency at Sporting? He's got an interesting background, very different to the normal president you get at these big clubs. Of course, he's a doctor. Uh, he's also served in the Portuguese military. And uh, he was actually the, the, the sporting medic, you know, the sporting doctor before he, he radically changed his position in that club. Uh, yeah, so I think he's done quite a good job in that he's uh, kind of just quietly gone about his job, normally stayed in the background, but occasionally he comes out and he really doesn't mince his words, as shown here. I think one thing which is interesting is that sporting uh, really didn't count uh, as a, a kind of big hitter in Portugal for 10, 15 years. It was all about it was the whole rivalry was just about Benfica and Porto and they were always at each other's throats. You got these sort of comments almost on a daily basis. That all changed really when Sporting started having a bit of success. And so I think this really war of words and very uh, bruising comments from Frederico Fernandes towards Pinto da Costa, which has been uh, replicated, of course, the other way around, uh, kind of just shows that uh, at least uh, Sporting are a club which are being uh, kind of taken in, taken a bit more uh, seriously nowadays. Yeah, I think we've seen, uh, obviously, with Benfica and Rui Costa taking over their 
a little bit of a change of the guard, isn't it? Certainly, Rui Costa couldn't be more different to a, to a guy like Pinto de Costa, who's just been there for decades and decades. Yeah, I'm not going to go into all the details of this, but what he, what Verandas was referring to with the blue card process is, a, I guess you could call it a scandal or an investigation that's going on the moment into uh, agent fees that have apparently been diverted to Pinto de Costa's son. And so, yeah, a whole lot of uh, discussion uh, about that. Investigations in Portugal are notoriously long. The other stuff that uh, Verandas was referring to was, of course, the Apito Durado, the Golden Whistle scandal in 2004, where uh, Pinto de Costa eventually didn't get prosecuted, but uh, there were phone conversations that were released, conversations to do with sending prostitutes to, to, to referees and, uh, and paying off referees. So the other clubs involved in that were Volvista, Susens and Gondomar. So I think it would be naive, Tom, to think that there hasn't been a whole lot of corruption going on in Portuguese football, of course, way back to the Salazar regime and, uh, and Benfica. And uh, we've seen it in Italy. We've seen it in a whole lot of other countries. You can imagine what's going on in Eastern Europe. So uh, just something I thought I'd bring to listeners' attention because a lot of this is really gets lost in the news cycle. Journalists don't want to take it on for obvious reasons. But uh, if anyone's interested, then they can go out there and um, do some research and uh, get the information yourselves. Let's move on now, Tom. It's time for Salazar. Alright Tom, Salasal, they've played four games in the UEFA Nations League and weren't they some brutal games? I mean really the fixtures just piled on the players. They had to play four games in really quick succession. We saw them draw 1-1 against Spain. They did well at home didn't they? They beat Switzerland 4-0, Czech Republic 2-0 and then uh, that game in Geneva, I was there. They lost 1-0 to Switzerland and you could just see the fatigue and the rotation that Fernando Santos had to make. Really, really tough. You saw results all over the board, all over Europe. Really unpredictable stuff going on because of that exact reason. Players were just burnt out and they just wanted to be at the beach. So we've got these games coming up really soon, Tom, in about just over three weeks. Portugal go to Prague to take on Czech Republic. They host Spain in Braga. So I thought what we'll do is uh, we'll do this, as I said, about once a month. We'll just take a quick look through the squad and see what Santos might be thinking. I guess uh, goalkeeper's really straightforward, Tom. Now we've seen Diogo Costa promoted well ahead of time, uh, way earlier than I suspected, but it looks like he's first choice now ahead of uh, Rui Patricio. Yeah, oh yeah, absolutely, no doubt about it. You know, he's been, hasn't put a foot wrong for Portugal or a hand wrong. He's been, he's been, he's looked really good. He's looked, he's just looks like the future of Portuguese uh, goalkeeping position. I think no doubt about it, unless he gets injured. Unless somebody else emerges, I think he'll be between the post for many, many years. Yeah, I mentioned that after the under-21 Euros that um, Sergio Conceição should bring him into the first team. Uh, at Porto, he did that. And I also mentioned that he was going to be first-choice Portugal goalkeeper. Just didn't think it happened that early. But uh, he hardly makes any mistakes. It's great to see. Left-back, Tom. Well, it's always about uh, Guerreiro and Mendes. And it uh, looks like... Really, Mendes is, is, is becoming first choice. Yeah, I think so. I've always been, you know, obviously a huge fan of his. I think he's just a better player than uh, than Guerreiro at the moment, especially in the defensive side of the game. Doing very well for PSG. You know, you see quite often popping up uh, on my Twitter line, another 
assist for Menders, you know, assisting Neymar or assisting Mbappé, you know, also it must be so good for his development, you know, playing alongside, training alongside players of that calibre every day. So, yeah, he, I think, would be first choice left back. Right back, obviously, is uh, all about Joao Cancelo, but um, it's really becoming more clear that Diogo Dalot is, uh, is next in line, of course, bad injuries for Ricardo Pereira, but I haven't seen him. Nelson Semedo, you'd have to say, is probably third choice now. It's really looking like uh, Delo. He uh, had a good performance for Manchester United. He's um, pretty much first choice right back there. So it's pretty much looking like those two guys, yeah? Yeah, absolutely, yeah. Cancelo won Delo too. I think Fernando Santos likes Delo. Of course, he gave him some a couple of games in the, in the Euro when he wasn't even first choice at Man United. So, yeah, I think no doubt about it. Cancelo won Delo too. And uh, central defence, obviously, Ruben Dias was injured for a lot of Portugal's recent games, which saw uh, Danilo and Pep in central defence. We saw Santos call up David Carmo, didn't get any game time. He even called up Domingos Duarte. Uh, And we also actually saw him call up Inacio, didn't he, in one of the previous squads who also didn't get off the pitch. It looked like Jose Font was being phased out, although he's still going strong in Lille. There was an article on Portugal about him and his training regime. We also got Thiago Jalo. The thing against him is he, he, he plays so much left back, right back, although we have seen Fonseca, the new Lille manager, brought him into central defence for the last couple of games. So keep an eye on him. But as we wrote in our article, we did that in March, wasn't it, Tom? Uh, analyzing the central defenders. It's obviously Cardamo, Inacio and Jalo, uh, a partner for Ruben Dias. Anything to add there, Tom? A uh, question, of course, keeping our fingers crossed in terms of Pep uh, keeping fit because... Uh... Yeah, that you know, that's. I thought it was interesting. Also, in the Nations League games, uh, Santos used Danilo, didn't he? There for all four games, I think he used uh, Danilo. And in the World Cup qualifiers, the, the yeah, playoffs yeah. as well. So you know, I think that tells us all we need to know about his thinking. Yeah, but uh, he's not getting much game time, is he at PSG? So that's a bit of a, a bit of a problem. I mean, I mentioned buried in my report of that sporting game in Porto. I haven't seen obviously that much of Inacio. I mean, I've seen a bit of him down to 21s, but not for sporting. But it just seems clear to me that Cardamo is, is a far superior player. I'm not saying Inacio is bad. I'm just saying that Cardamo's better. And I really hope we, you know, Cardamo can now, obviously, he'll get into the Porto team. He can get a run of games. Let's see what Santos does. I mean, he just keeps favouring that experience in that position, doesn't he? So we'll see what happens. Let's look at, uh, I guess, the more defensive midfield positions. We saw Palninha pick up injury at the wrong time. Ruben Neves is really a guy that Santos has, has been given a lot more game time to. We even saw William get some starts and, and, and do well. Mateos Nunes is another guy who can play there. João Moutinho, another guy who uh, got some game time. Might have seen the last of Moutinho now. Tom, 35, 146 caps. Still getting some game time for Wolves, but with all those other guys I mentioned. And João Mario, again, uh, another guy maybe you could sort of put in that in that bracket you might have seen the last of Moutinho perhaps although you know it's just an absolute embarrassment of riches in this position isn't it central midfield defensive midfield so many choices and so many choices doing really well for their clubs you know Polina what a start he's had and I remember us watching a few games Matt in uh, you know down in the Algarve I remember Polina uh, the game against Ireland was it or uh, they it's just you know, he's really come on leaps and bounds, and I, uh, I think he, it's going to be quite hard not to play him. The game against Switzerland here in the Nations League, Ruben Neves, superb, superb, really liked it. And I know you're 
somebody who said that he's uh, you know should be playing a lot more for Portugal and he was great I think that game against Switzerland I remember saying I think that was probably the best Portugal had played under uh, Fernando Santos I'd say perhaps with the exception of the Nations League final uh, you know that was a really superb performance everything about it just clicked and that was William Carvalho and Ruben Neves so yes yeah, so much choice in this midfield Matt I think that's possibly going to be the key to how successful Portugal are in Qatar uh, you know can he find the right combination can he pick that right uh, you know midfield to really get the best out of the the amazing attacking potential that Portugal has yeah, it's fascinating, isn't it? I mean, that aggression that we've seen from Palinha really was was what Portugal needed. And I just love, you know, the long passing from Ruben Neves. You know, he can just, he can create an attack out of nothing. You know, defensively, he might give up a little bit, but if you've got someone like Palinha next to him, I'd love to see those two guys together. Yeah. Uh, but we've seen, haven't we, with Santos, how much he favours uh, the guys that uh, that have done the job for him in the past and how loyal he is. I think the Palinha Neves combo would be good, so we just have to wait and see. And of course, what does he do with uh, with Nunes? Uh, how does he fit him in? Um, so many questions. It's going to be really tough for Santos to to make a decision there. And if we look at more of those attacking midfield positions, Tom, of course, it's about Bruno Fernandes, Bernardo Silva, Renato Sanchez. He's moved to PSG now, and uh, he might get some game time. He's obviously going to come into the reckoning. We've got Vitinha made his uh, his first start in that last game in in Geneva. Otavio. Another guy that uh, Santos has, uh, has given some game time to. So this midfield is just stacked. Yeah, absolutely. It's just it's too, too many, isn't it? Too many to, to choose when you could pick two or perhaps three midfields, which would you could look at them and they'd all be really, really strong, you know, midfield units. One interesting thing, Matt, we saw in the Nations League game, there was quite a lot of rotation. Because, like you mentioned earlier, it was the end of the season and players were tired. I don't know if it was just because of that or if it was through design, but I don't think we saw at all uh, Bernardo Silva and Bruno Fernandes on the pitch at the same time. And it actually worked quite well. Certainly the two games here in in Portugal, the two games uh, here at the, at the Alvalade against Switzerland and the Czech Republic, which I saw, and that was really seemed to... Portugal just seemed a lot more of a cohesive unit, a lot more balanced. And it was, you know, when Bruno Fernandes started, he'd come off and Bernardo Silva would, would come on for him in 60 minutes. And then the next game, it was the other way round. And that seemed to work really well. So that's another big decision which Fernando Santos has got. Does he, does he pick them both or does he pick just one of them? I think it's been proven that when, when the big games come along, it's going to be both of them, 100%. So then it just becomes a matter of where is the balance, you know. How do you account for Bruno Fernandes having a lot of freedom? I pointed out in, in previous reports, a lot, of, a lot of the good things he does off the ball, a lot of the organisation he does, um, doesn't seem to have that much effect in, in the pressing, which is continually bad under, under Santos, but... You know, we've seen enough from Santos to, to, to know what he's going to do in the big games. You're going to see Bruno, you're going to see Bernardo. And it's just a matter of what he does, the, the pieces he puts around them. Just so many options, we'll have to see what happens there. So up front, it's obviously Cristiano, Joel Felix to Diogo Jota. We've seen again, Santos really likes that Jota-Ronaldo partnership. Felix has had some bad injuries that have sort of kept him out of the squad here and there. It's looking like a mixture of two of those three. And then on the outer, you've got, I guess, uh, Rafael Leao. Gonzalo Gage, Ricardo Horta, he got some game time, scored a goal. 
and then uh, Rafa Silva, Andre Silva, the sort of usual suspects that could be squad players coming off the bench. Is that how you see that, Tom? Yeah, absolutely. Well, I suppose we have to ask, don't we, Matt, the, the Ronaldo situation. I mean, imagine he stays at Manchester United and he stays in this position where he's just getting, you know, drips and drabs a few minutes at the end of games. First of all, what does that do to Portugal's chances? And will Fernando Santos pick him regardless? Imagine he gets to Qatar and he's got like, uh, you know, 200 minutes under his belt in the last six months. Yeah, 100%. I mean, you know, the, the transfer window is, I guess it's a week away or something from closing. So a lot of things could happen between now and then. But you could look at it two different ways, Tom. I mean, this reduces the chance of him getting injured. Keeps him a bit, bit, a bit fresher. We, we've mentioned the, the, the pile-ups of the fixtures, which is only going to increase with the Champions League, trying to pack all them in. Then you've got the Nations League. Then you've got the World Cup. I think a lot of people out there just do not realise how hard this is on players. I didn't read the comments, obviously, after that game against Switzerland, but I can imagine what it was. And I just think a lot of people just do not see it from the players' point of view and how hard it is. You know, the physical toll it takes on their bodies and just the lack of rest that they've had. So it could work two ways for Ronaldo, but for sure, he's going to still call the shots. He's going to want to start every game. Okay, it's one thing being rested, you know, being rested and not being overplayed. It's another thing, virtually not playing. <laughs> uh, his situation at the moment, basically, he's, he's a substitute at Manchester United, isn't he? You know, I think this is quite a worrying situation for him and for, for Portugal, because without doubt, you know, Ronaldo fit and on form, even at 37 or 38, or whatever age he is. He's, uh, he's Portugal's most reliable goal scorer. So, you know, I think this is a big issue, which uh, we're going to, you know, a lot, I think, of what happens in Qatar might might depend exactly on what happens in the next uh, two or three days before the transfer market closes. Yeah, it's fascinating, isn't it? None of the noise surrounding Ronaldo is going to go away. Let's just see what happens, you know. We could be having a completely different discussion in a week if he, uh, if he moves somewhere else. I just wanted to just quickly touch on Rafael Liao, you know, people that have been following me for a long time would have known what I said after the Under-20 World Cup about him and Jetson Fernandes. Some attitude issues that I spotted there and were concerned about. And look, there's no doubting his talent. I mean, he's gone to AC Milan. He's a key player there, played a huge role in them winning the title. He's got a tremendous amount of ability and potential. There's just no doubt about that. And now the rumours about him making a huge money move to... Uh, a bigger club than AC Milan, are probably well-deserved. What I wanted to say is that when you go to games, Tom, as a journalist or inside stadiums, you see a lot more than you do on TV, even though he's going to be in Portugal's squad for the foreseeable future. I still see some little weird attitude issues going on with him, which disturbs me a little bit. And I just wanted to put that out there just for people to know and to maybe keep an eye on. It's very interesting you say that right now because... Oh, just this weekend, I was uh, reading some comments by uh, Stefano Pioli, his coach at Milan. And he was, I think, I imagine, addressing exactly this idea people have of Leon. These kind of comments, questioning his attitude. And he was talking about body language. He was saying that, uh, you know, Rafael Leon, he sometimes gives out the wrong messages with his body language. Could say it's a kind of style, isn't it, of play? You know, he always seems to kind of carry himself in that kind of lazy looking way. But, you know, what he did last season, and uh, he's also, of course, started pretty well this season. 
and you see him sometimes he's so explosive so yeah really interesting character and a really interesting point you you raise you know uh, how much of it is a bad attitude how much of it is just his kind of you know style of playing and should he kind of look to to change that just just like his manager I think was kind of suggesting he should try and change his kind of body language just to give off a different you know a different attitude a different vibe body language is one thing but I'll be specific about some of his interactions with other players on the pitch especially far more experienced players and also just his interactions with Santos when Santos is trying to give him instructions. It's bad. You know, he's still a young guy, still plenty of time to, I guess, improve that aspect of, uh, of, of him and his game. So uh, that's about it, Tom. Of course, we've got these two Nations League games coming up. See how we go there. And then the World Cup in uh, starting in late November. Portugal with Ghana, Uruguay and Korea Republic. Tom, that's been a massive effort i got some editing work to do thanks for your time and uh enjoy yourself tonight with benfica smashing partials to Fredena. yeah okay cheers matt and uh yeah look forward to uh, catching up soon catching up to see a game together yeah for sure i'll be down there soon and uh just reminding everyone stay in touch with portugal we've got content coming left right and center we've got portugal abroad you've got match reports it's all happening player features We'll have some interviews coming with uh, hopefully some managers and players. Keep in touch with Portugal for everything you need to know about Portuguese football. Take it easy.
放生。